Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, um, it is not my it is not my message this morning, but uh, as we were singing the song this morning, how God was go- was going to break us break out. He's going to break some things. He's going to come in the room and things change. I couldn't help but remember the story out of Second Samuel chapter five when David asked God, "Should I go up against my enemy?" Uh, the enemy's coming to the land and he's trying to take something that belongs to me. The enemy's come and he wants to eat up my increase. The enemy's come against me. Shall I go up? Do you want me to hide? Do you? What do you want me to do? And God said, go. And David went and he, he destroyed the enemy and he said, look, it is Baal Perazim. God has broken through my enemies. You know, David understood who David was, that he wasn't the one with the power. He wasn't the one with the hand that was mighty but he was walking with somebody with a mighty hand and and I don't know what you're facing in here I have to tell you God's broken things in my life there are chains that no longer fit on my on my on my wrist Uh, There are cloaks that the enemy would like to throw around my shoulders. He'd like to throw some depression around my shoulders. This week my kid couldn't come back from Texas and I'm mad about it. (laughs) He would like to throw some depression over my shoulders. But I have to tell you, that coat doesn't fit anymore. Because God is Baal Perazim, the God of breakthrough. And he has broken through on that thing. And it cannot return. And maybe you're facing financial problems. Maybe you're facing sickness and nobody knows just how bad it is or just what the doctor has told you. But I have to tell you that God is still a God of breakthrough. That Jesus is still a healer. That he didn't change his mind when he descended into heaven. That he is still the one who can take care of your needs. And and you know what? I, I serve a great God. I serve a great God this morning. You know, I love coming in here, and and sometimes I'm just surprised. Sometimes I come in here, and I'm met by the presence of God, and he surprises me. You know, that wasn't what was on my mind this morning, but, but I love that God is a God who can still walk on water. Jesus still comes in ways I don't recognize sometimes. He can still blow me away with who he is. He is good. He is powerful. He is holy. He can do what you need him to do. He can break, break through on your enemy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, that just blew a couple pages out there. (laughs) Uh, It is my, I'm grateful to have an opportunity, and it is my privilege to come today and minister to you in the vein of our pastor's vision for the year all in. Uh, And I want to be transparent with you. I have come in here on some January Sunday mornings and Pastor got up and he released a a vision for the year and the vision challenged me. And and I don't know if you folks remember, some of you were here at that time, most of you. That year we had love God and love people. (laughs) You know, I heard Pastor say that and I knew he was right. I knew he had heard God. Oh, but something in me went, oh no, here we go. And I have to tell you, that was the year the Lord gave me a cross uh, so many times I couldn't count it. I would say, oh, we got this together. We're good. We're good. And I'd get over one little fleshy attitude I had, one little uh, hang-up I was walking through. And and I'd step out and he'd pull out the mirror of his word and say, hey, while we're working on stuff, come on over here and let's work on this a little while. And I have to tell you, at the end of the year, 
I love God better. And I love people better. Because if you love God well, you will love his body. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't like his people very much. If you don't like his people very much, I tell you, heaven's going to be a hard place for you. Because Jesus is all about the church. Jesus is all about the body of Christ. And, you know, we're not, we're not perfect yet. We're still in our walking it out. Sometimes I come in here, and I'm your sandpaper, right, grinding off your rough edges, but sometimes you're my sandpaper. But we got to keep coming. We've got to keep coming because we have to love God, and we have to love people. Sometimes... Sometimes I've come in here, and, and, and I have been excited about that vision that Pastor cast for that year. That year we did the, that, that, uh, those verses out of Jeremiah, what's too hard for God? Oh, that pumped me up. Just to think about the greatness and the glory of God, it got me excited. I was excited that whole year over that. But this year, this year, the vision echoed in me. It resonated inside of me. All in. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. It resonates inside of me. You see, Jesus went all in for me. Why wouldn't I be all in? Uh, in light of who God is, omniscient, knowing everything, omnipotent, nothing too hard for him, omnipresent. I can't even go into hell and get away from me. When I, in, in the light of who God is in his glory, in his majesty, it is only reasonable that I go all in for him. In light of the sufferings of Jesus, wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities, in the light of him hanging on a cross, broken and bruising, suspended between heaven and earth, in the light of what he did and accomplished in my life and the chains that he has broken, it is only reasonable that I go all in. In light of an empty tomb, Easter's coming, people. Resurrection time is coming. We can go ahead and celebrate. In light of an empty tomb, in light of this glorious baptism of the Holy Ghost, God walking in me and God walking through me, and God making me able to live upright in an upside-down world in light of all these things, it is only reasonable that I be all in for him in the light of his imminent return. What else can I be but all in? When he appears, when I stand in front of him, I don't want him to say, Oh, but if you'd been all in, what could we have done? If you'd been all in, what would it have been? When, he, when I stand before him, I want him to say, well done. You gave me everything. Even when nobody else saw it, you gave me everything. I want him to be pleased. He is the audience of one that I live in front of. Jesus is not coming back for a half-hearted bride chasing the world and getting her feet dirty. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her through the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish before him in love. Jesus is all in for us. Why wouldn't we be all in? It is my privilege to pick up that thread of our pastor's vision this morning.
for our church in this season, that word, that idea the Holy Spirit put his finger on and preached to you this morning, my passion, all in in the place of prayer. Hallelujah. Pray with me this morning, church. Father, we come to you, and we adore you. We praise you. You are the God of the breakthrough. You are able to do all things, Lord. I asked you to, to, to clearly enunciate what you want to say, that you draw us into the secret place again. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Folks, I'm going to be in uh, the, the book of 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning. And then we're going to swing back around to Psalms when we, as we wrap it all up. And, and if it sounds like to you that I didn't understand the assignment that we're supposed to be talking about prayer, just wait for it because we are. It just may not be apparent at first. We're going to be talking about the story, the account in Scripture of this little widow woman in her desperation and in this woman's narrative, this is the defining narrative by her life, uh, about her life, by the way. This is who we remember her as, but this defined how the rest of her life was going to go. I want to call special attention to four people, four characters, four players in this woman's story, starting in verse 1. He was the servant. He was the one. He was the one. 
the one that if Elijah was thirsty, he would go get the water from the well. If Elijah said, we got to go somewhere, he's the one who, uh, who uh, uh, pitched the tent. That was a lot of me, wasn't it? <laughs> Elisha was the one who did the labor, and he walked with Elijah. And, and you know, sometimes people feel a call of God in their lives, and the call is perfectly, perfectly real. But they don't understand. They get offended when they come, and they, they want to minister, and, and they get the van keys. Here, go, go, go wash that thing, and, and pick up the children, and bring them to, to Wednesday night services. And they get the vacuum cleaner. Hey, why don't, you, why don't you run this out in the foyer? We had donuts this morning. There's some crumbs down in the carpet. Uh, you feel a call to ministry? Go out there and run that vacuum cleaner for a little while. <laughs> but, but, but if you will serve God in the little things, he can trust you with the big things. If he can't trust you with the van key, he can't give you a pulpit. If he can't trust you with a vacuum cleaner, he's not going to give you a platform. God has to be able to trust you. And Elisha has come through this. And Elijah has gone to heaven. And now Elisha, Elisha is the man who is the representative of God to the people. He, uh, he's the prophetic voice. He's God's voice to the nation. When God has something to say to the king, he's going to go talk to Elisha. And Elisha's going to go. So can you imagine that Elisha's a busy man? Elisha is the head of the school of the prophets. And the school of the prophets is this band of anointed young men who are being trained to bring uh, reform to an apostate nation. And, and he's the head of that. He's just a busy man. You couldn't just drop by the, by the, uh, the church because you saw his car was out front. You had to make an appointment. He was busy. He was important. But this was a desperate woman. This was a desperate woman, and she doesn't have a way out. She doesn't have another option, or she would have taken it. So she comes to Elisha, but when she gets there, she identifies both her reason and her right. She has a reason to be there, her sorrow. She has a right. There's a relationship. Her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. He was one of Elisha's protégés. And he was a good man. He was a godly man. And together they were building a life in the shadow of the prophetic movement in the nation. They were doing something together. Uh, but, but now her sorrow has come. There is a spiritual relationship. And she's still linked to the man of God. But, the, but her husband is dead. She's just not just a, a grieving woman. She's a grieving widow. She had lost the head of her house, the man who was uh, the priest of the home. She's lost the one who went to God for them, the one who made the financial uh, 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 decisions, the one who took care of her and her boys. Uh, he was the one who was going to teach them how to be men of God and follow in their daddy's footsteps, and, and he's gone. And she's lost her vision for the future. She's lost her, uh, her understanding of what the picture is supposed to look like now. The pretty picture is broken, and she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to do, but she knows what direction to run in. So she goes to Elisha, the man of God. This is not just a grieving widow. This is a mama. 
and she is in trouble, and I don't know about you. Gentlemen, I'm sorry, I don't know what it's like for daddies, but I know what it's like to be mommy bear. (laughs) I know what it's like to see your son or your daughter, and and they're in trouble, and something in you rises up, and you're going to go defend that baby. Ain't nobody going to hurt my my boys. Ain't nobody going to say too much because mama bear's here. I have to tell you, and I'm telling on myself, there was a time when little bitty Cody was out there on the t-ball field, and he had his he had his little glove and his little bat that I had bought him and and boy he was cute and I was up in the bleachers and I noticed all of a sudden it looks like that coach is yelling at somebody it looks like that coach is getting down and yelling and when I shifted to the side I saw that coach was down there yelling at Cody and I have to tell you the only reason mama bear wasn't in the newspaper that day or getting bailed out of jail was there was a chain link fence between me and that man down in little Cody's face mama bear has to take care of business mama bear's what that boy's got Mama Bear's gonna do something. Now I have to tell you, this is a mommy in trouble. Her greatest fear, her greatest inspiration, her greatest sorrow is in front of her. She's a grieving mama. The creditor has come and he has a claim. He has a claim on her house, he has a claim on her future, he has a claim on her children. And when you look in the original language, this was not the OVB loan officer. This was not the farmer's bank loan specialist. This was the predatory man. This is the man that they went to in the back of the back street and said, I need a favor. This was the man who gave you what you needed, but there was a cost. There was a price tag involved, and it might be higher than you want to pay. But the man has a claim on our house. And I want you to see who this man is. He has no compassion. He's a man without God. I know it because God says you can't take. The Israelites couldn't take an Israelite as a slave. But he didn't mind what God was saying. Uh, The book of Exodus, it says, uh, you'll have compassion and you shall not afflict the widow and the fatherless child. And you know what he was going about to do? He was about to put shackles on those little wrists and chains on those little ankles and drag them off to the slave yards. He was about to put those boys to hard labor. This was an ungodly man, and she would have no compassion in his eyes. And then there's those boys. That's her world. That's her sunlight in the dark time. Uh, that, that's the, the thing she'll give anything for. Her most vo- valuable position. Mommies invest their whole lives in their babies, don't we, Mommy? Our whole lives are invested in those little little ones. And, and we, our whole point is to get them to the place where they can fly away and get their wings. But it's our whole life taking flight. This Mommy is desperate. And those kids, those are her hope for the future. In this culture, in this culture, when mommy gets old and nobody else take care of her, those kids are going to take care of her. This is her everything. So she came to Elisha, the man of God, and brought him her greater sorrow. He brought, she brought him her greatest uh, uh, fear, her greatest desperation. Hearing from heaven was the only hope this woman had. Verse 1 again, now the wife of a son of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two sons 
to be his slave. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And I imagine her face about right there. Didn't you listen to what I just said? Don't, don't you know I just said I don't have anything? He says to her, your hand, uh, what do you, tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. You can't even make bread with just oil. All I've got is a little bit of oil. It's everything I've got. Can't you imagine her saying, Elisha, aren't you listening? I'm broke. I don't have anything of value. If I had something I could sell, I'd have already done it. You wouldn't be looking at me if I had another way out of this mess. But she says, oh, I got a little oil. Verse 3, then he said, go around and borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels and not a few. And when you come in, you shut the door upon you and your sons and pour out the oil that you have into all those vessels, setting aside each one when it is full. You know, that doesn't make a bit of sense at all. But the little woman said, this is my shot. I'm hearing out of heaven. I'm going to do what the prophet says. So she goes to her neighbor. Hey, have you got a pitcher I can borrow? Have you got a bowl? Are there any mason jars under your sink right now? Uh, do you have a barrel? Hey, you see that, that bucket over there? Can I, I, I know I'll wash it out, but can I have the, that bucket over there? Uh, and she goes to the other side. Hey, I'll even take your pans. You got a Kool-Aid pitcher in the shelf? I'll take the Kool-Aid pitcher. I'll take your bowls. Whatever you got, I'll take it. I'll take it. No, I don't need your sugar. I don't need a cup of sugar and a couple of eggs. I don't need a handful of meal from you. You don't understand. You don't have anything in your possession that is going to make the difference in my life right now. You don't have what I need. All I need is some capacity. All I need is some empty vessels. I need something to hold what God's going to do. And you know, I'm sure those, those neighbors said, Hey, what are you doing? Are you crazy? I know you don't have anything. Why do you want my bowls? And they want to talk about it. What are you doing? And she says, I don't have time to talk to you. If I sit down and tell you how bad it is, if I tell you uh, how I'm broken, if I tell you this fear that has gripped my soul, you're going to try to talk me out of my miracle. I can't afford to talk to you. I'll tell you what he does tomorrow. But today, just give me your capacity. Just give me something to take in front of God. So she takes the vessels and she does just what the prophet says to do. She goes into her house and she closes the door. Nelly next door is not going to see this. Wilbur down the street ain't going to be looking in her windows. She shuts the door and she starts pouring out some oil. Pouring out some oil. Honey, bring me another pan. There's still some oil in here. I don't know how, but there's still oil. I poured and I poured in the bucket's full. Bring me another pan. And she pours into the pan. And then she says, oh, honey, honey, the pan's full. Give me, a, 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 give me that Kool-Aid pitcher. Give me those mason jars. Honey, give me another bub. Bring me something else to put this oil in. Cody, bring me a bucket. Brayden, bring me a pan. You don't understand. You're listening to my testimony this morning. Yeah, this is something I have lived out. She poured her oil. We heard just a few weeks ago when Noah preached on worship, the woman who brought her oil and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. This is a woman that poured oil and God poured oil on her in the 
She's pouring out her oil. And God's pouring oil out for her. The oil flowed until she reached capacity. Until there wasn't any more room. There was no place else to put the oil. This little mommy and her boys standing in a house with God. And everywhere they look, there's, there's oil. Everywhere they look, there's a miracle. Everywhere they look, they're surrounded by a miracle. They're resourced by the miracle. Because they were in the secret place pouring out oil. And God takes care of them. Verse 5. So she went from him. And she shut the door upon herself and her sons. Who brought to her the vessels as she poured the oil and when the vessels were all full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one left. You got them all, mama. They're all full. Then the oil stopped multiplying. And she came back and she told the man of God. And he said to her, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons will live on the rest. And you may be saying, but I thought you were going to talk to us about praying this morning, not pouring out oil. Uh, but I have to tell you, I told you it's my testimony. This is my life. I was a little woman that was broken with a dead marriage. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to raise up godly men. And I didn't know how to take care of them and make sure that they had everything they needed. I didn't know what the future was going to look like. My future, my pretty picture was broken. Oh, but I did the only thing I knew to do. I didn't know what to do, but I knew where to go. I went into the secret place and I took my little bit of oil, my little bit of faith, and I started pouring it out in the secret place. And God multiplied my oil. He resourced me with miracles. And you may say, broken heart's not my problem, it's my bank account. Pour out your oil. Pour out your little bit of faith. Pour out that little bit you have. And watch what God does in your secret place. Watch what he does. Watch what he does. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
come and shut the door and get in secret with me and know that I can change you and I can change exactly what you are dealing with right now. Know that I am your God and you are my prized possession and you are the vessel I desire to seal so that you will see my miracle working Give him some praise this morning, folks. God is after you. God loves you. Hallelujah. 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 Let me tell you a little bit about me pouring my oil out in the secret place. At first, my prayer sounded a lot like, oh, God, what am I going to do? Oh, God, how do I handle this? Oh, God, I'm not that big. But can I tell you, you cannot come into proximity with consuming fire and stay the same. Your, your prayers are going to start sounding like the sound of heaven. You're, you get in proximity to the God who, who melts mountains and watch your mountains melt. You get in proximity to the God who loves you with a Calvary quality of love and start watching him change you from the inside out. You can't come to God and tell him how big your problems is and walk away with victory. You're going to come into that prayer closet and you're going to stand in front of the living God. And when you stop looking toward him and start looking at him, you're going to see something that's going to change your life. He's going to set your prayer closet on fire. The closer I got to him, the better I found he was. I was pouring out my little bit of faith, my little bit, and he was pouring himself out on me. As much as I had the capacity to receive, Holy Spirit was willing to give. This is the paradigm of being all in in prayer. This woman got the miracle with her door shut. Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Uh, the miracle happens in the secret place. The secret to powerful prayer is praying in the secret place. You know what? I can come in here, and I can lead a congregational prayer, and you may go, oh, Cindy's spiritual. Oh, listen to the eloquence. It sounds like she wrote that thing down and read it off a piece of paper. That's amazing. You may say that, but I'm going to get in front of God, and you know what? He's not going to be impressed with me. He's listened to the prayers of Billy Graham and the Apostle Paul. I don't have a chance of impressing God with my eloquence. He's not looking for my vocabulary. The woman got her miracle because she did not go to her neighbors complaining. Instead, she went to God. She didn't get on Facebook and vent about how bad things were. Uh, she didn't go around bleeding emotionally on anybody who was, who was close. Uh, instead, she went to the only one who could help, to God. Uh, folks, living your life in a pity party will kill you. Your mouth will bring you to the grave if you don't learn how to control that thing. If you will go to God and pour out your oil on him and let him pour out oil on you, he will heal that brokenness so you're not bleeding all over the place. When you're facing impossible mountains, remember your God melts them. His feet melt mountains. He can handle it. Go talk to God. Tell him how good he is. Tell him how big he is. He's not going to get bored with that. 
this woman was intentional. She only got as much oil as she prepared for. I bet she wished she had a few more buckets by the time that thing was over. But she borrowed every vessel she could find, shut the door on her and her sons, and it was not an accident. She did it very purposefully. You will never stumble and trip your way into a deep relationship with God. Your prayer closet will never be the deep, satisfying place where the God who, who uh, speaks in his voice breaks cedars and strips bare force. Uh, you're not going to have that in your prayer closet by accident. Can you pray on your way to work? I do. I hope you do. It's a good time. You can talk to the Lord, but you will never go deep in your car. You know why? Because you've got to watch the road. There's something happens when you go in and you turn your phone off. That phone kills me. That phone wants to take out my prayer closet. If you put that phone in the other room, if, if, it's a, if that's your music, put it over where you can't reach it when you get down on the floor. And you put that thing away and you start lavishing love on God. He fills the prayer closet. You must be intentional in your prayer closet. And I don't know about you, but I want God to be intentional in my life. He told me that. He told me that years ago in my prayer closet. I was in here, I do believe. And he said, if you will be intentional with your time, I will be intentional with my presence. I want the presence of God. I need the presence of God in my life. You have to be intentional. If all I'm doing is going to work so I can pay bills, and that's my whole life, that's a sad little life. That's a sad little life. That's a breathless life. You know what? A prayerless life is a life with no breath in it. Do you know what we call it when something doesn't have any breath, but it's walking around? We call that a monster. That's a bad movie. That's a bad movie. If you're a Christian, you're going to have some breath in you, and you're going to have the breath in your prayer closet. A prayerless life is a breathless life. We have to be intentional with him. She was intimate. She brought her boys into the room and closed the door. It was in privacy that God multiplied the oil. It was in privacy she got her miracle. When it's just you and God in the room, that's when the miracle happens. That's when he shows up and reveals himself. God's not looking for eloquence or spiritual gymnastics. He's looking for a hungry cart. Isn't that what Jesus told that woman at the well? The Father's looking for such to, to, to worship him. God's seeking out a hungry heart. God wants the worshiper, the one who come and, and talk to him and love on him, and they're not just bringing the wish list. God is looking for intimacy. James 4 and 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I want to be near God. I, I, there are mountains in my life I can't, I, can't, I can't move with my faith. I wish I could. I would have done it already. But he can melt them. He can melt them. When you read the Gospels, wherever Jesus walked in the room, that was ground zero for the kingdom of God. That was where the miracle happened. That was where the, the, the deaf ears opened and the blind eyes started seeing. So there are some things in my life where I've been deaf and blind and I don't know what to do and how to get out of this place. Oh, but when Jesus walks in, he's the one who opens eyes. He's the one who opens ears. He's the one who speaks life. I, I, I need that in my life. I need his proximity. This woman was intentional. She was intimate. But she was intense. She was desperate to engage God, and that intensity worked. God is looking for the hungry heart. And if you come to your prayer closet, and all you're doing is bringing God your wish list, 
then you are missing, missing out on the, the, the most beautiful part of prayer. You're missing out on the intimate connection to the Father's heart. If you are bored in your prayer life, church, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong if you're bored in there. You need to dial up the intensity a little bit on your prayers. And, and can I tell you, sometimes it, it goes against my flesh to do that. Sometimes my flesh comes home and I'm home from work and I'm hungry and I'm a little bit tired and I'm a little bit wanting to complain to anybody who'll listen because I had a hard day at work. And, and I come in there and, and, and Holy Spirit says, won't you come pray? And my flesh gets in the way. My flesh doesn't want to be intense. My flesh wants a recliner. But I can have the recliner if that's what I want. I don't want the recliner. I want the living God. David, the man after God's heart, wrote in the book of Psalms, chapter 63 and verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Psalms 42 and 1, here's David again. As a deer pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after you. You're the one thing. That's the, that's the verse of my, of my prayer closet, folks. Psalms 27 and 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek, inquire for, and insistently require, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, that I might dwell in proximity to God, that I can get in his presence all the days of my life to gaze on his beauty and to inquire meditate and consider in his temple jesus promised those who hunger and thirst get filled so let me reel this thing on in those donuts have to be getting a little old we, we gotta we gotta reel it in being all in in prayer is not punching a time clock you come in and punch and you do your duty and you do your 10 minutes and you walk out that's a legalism it's never going to satisfy your heart or god's God doesn't want you to follow the rules. He wants a relationship with you. Amen. It's not bringing the wish list you want God to complete and laying it out in front of him and giving the timeline. You ever done that? God, I need you to do this, and I need it by Monday. I need you to do it my way. It's not bringing that in. That's just manipulation. Prayer isn't the choice. It's the high place. It's the highest calling of mankind to minister to the heart of the living God. God wants a relationship with us. And you know what? I know me. It, it's wonderful that I would want a relationship with God. That, that makes sense. He's God. He speaks worlds into, into orbit. He's God. He can do anything. He's thunder and lightning God. But he wants a relationship with me. And I know me, and I'm not all that. Oh, but he thinks I am. He thinks I am. He wants a relationship. That's the wonder of my life. The secret place is the place of revelation, of inspiration, of infilling and indwelling. It is the power position for the kingdom of God. Intimacy in prayer is the secret to power in prayer. It is this power source of the Christian life and every Christian endeavor. Everything I could do for God in all of my life with all of my strength doesn't compare to what I can do with God. God doesn't want me to do for him. He wants me to do with him. 
that is found not in the public forum. It is found in the intimacy, in the stillness, in the aloneness with God of your prayer closet, with the door shut. Praying from intimacy is greater and more effective than mere petition outside the doors of a relationship. When I pray until my heart is connected to the heart of God and I see him as he is, I'm changed. Faith rises up with me, up inside of me. My heart is connected to him, and now I can pray rightly. Now I'm not telling God how bad everything is. I'm telling God how big he is, and I, I know he can handle that. You know, it changes me. I'm not pushing my, my load up to God on the mountain. I'm up on the mountain with God looking at the load, and it doesn't look so big anymore. Now it's okay. Church, God is inviting you. Go all in in prayer with me this year. Go all in with me when nobody's looking. Shut your door. Step into the heavenly places in your prayer closet. Close your door. Pour out your oil. He wants to multiply it. He wants to give you the miracle. Now I want to ask you this morning. And uh, Noah, if you, you can come back up if you'd like. I'm about done here. I want to ask you this morning. How's it with you? Are you like this woman today? Are you feeling hedged in and desperate? Has fear become your companion? Has sorrow consumed your life? And you're desperate and you don't know a way out. First things first, this woman had a relationship. She had a reason. She could go to God. It was a relationship. God, Does God hear a sinner's prayer? I believe he does. He, listen, he, he, he heard me. He heard me. I believe he does. But God, more than anything, wants your heart. And he wants the relationship with you. So I want to ask you this morning. How is your relationship with the Lord? I have found that my relationship with Jesus is good in the bad times. And he's good in the good times. He's sweet every morning. When everything's going south, I've got him. And when I'm on top of the mountain, I've got him. My life is good because of God. And a day is going to come when, when my journey ends. We're all on the journey and we all have a, an end of the journey that is coming. And when you reach the end of your journey and I reach the end of mine, I'm going to stand in front of God. You're going to stand in front of God. And he's not going to ask you how much money did you make. He's not going to ask you how many baseball games you took your kids to. He's not going to ask you about your career or those things that we chase. He's not even going to ask you about your favorite TV series that you're binging right now. He's not going to ask you any of those things. He's going, when you stand in front of God, he's going to ask you one thing. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the Lord? The gospel in its most succinct form is this, that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was beaten and crucified, died on a rough, rugged cross. And he did it not because he deserved it, but because I did. Because I deserved hell. Because I deserved the penalty of my sins. And you deserve the penalty of yours. None of us deserve heaven. None of us are good enough. We can't do it. But Jesus was good enough. And when he died on the cross, he did it for us. It was our sins that put him there. But Jesus wasn't just 
the sacrifice. He is the resurrected Lord. He is God the Son and death could not hold him. And on the third day when the soldiers were guarding a tomb with a dead man inside, that that stone started rolling away and Jesus walked on back out. Jesus is God and Jesus take the penalty of your sin and all you have to do believe he said believe what do I do to do the works of God believe on him who the father has sent God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for the father did not send the son into the world uh, to condemn the world but rather that it should be saved the Lord is reaching this morning and I don't know your hearts I know I know a lot of you but I don't know your heart do you have the relationship that when things are hard you can go and say I'm coming in because I have a covenant I'm coming in because Jesus died for me I'm coming in and I need you oh but I've got you I've got you and I know you're going to multiply more if that's you this morning church just go ahead and bow your head let's give some uh Let's give some privacy to people. You can have a relationship with God if you want it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. If you're in here under the sound of my voice this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus or you have walked away from your relationship and you're a little farther away than you're comfortable with and you feel Holy Spirit tugging at your heart this morning, will you slip your hand into the air? I promise I will not embarrass you. I am not going to embarrass you this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that hand. Hallelujah. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else in here that says, I just need this Jesus. I just need that man who loved me enough to die for me. Is there anybody else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I want you to pray with us this morning. And I'm praying, and sir, when you pray, I want you to pray to the Lord. And you can use my words or words from your own. But church, I want us all to pray this this morning. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. We believe that he died and paid the penalty for our sins. And we believe that he rose again the third day. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus' work on the cross. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And now, Lord, by faith, I thank you for the salvation I've stepped into. And I ask you to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you praise the Lord for, uh, for that, uh, that one who prayed this morning? Hallelujah. Welcome to the kingdom. Hallelujah. Okay, saints. If you're somebody in here who says to me, I'm a Christian, but I'm desperate. I'm a Christian, but I'm in trouble. I'm a Christian, but the creditors come. I'm a Christian, but the pretty picture's broken, and I'm desperate, and I just need God. I can tell you, you can come up and I can pray with you, but God is more interested in hearing you pray than hearing me pray for you. Now, I don't mind laying hands on you and anointing you with oil. That's the, the, the New Testament biblical way to do it. 
and, and I'm, I'm happy to do it. But I, what I would rather do is ask you, church, will you just come up? Come up and worship God this morning. Come up here and just love on Him. As we enter into worship with the worship team, let's just let's just go ahead and start that prayer in our prayer closet right up here. Let's just go ahead and love Him this morning. And you are a child. 